You are listening to the 100th episode of the Playing Full Out podcast with Rita Hyland. Hello, I'm Rita Hyland, and you're about to discover what it means to position your business, career, and life to play full out. This show explores the way leaders just like you embrace and achieve their ambition without working harder or grinding it out any longer. So if you want to take your life, business, or career to a playing full out status and do so while being the happiest high performer in the room, then hang with me because this show shares everything you need to know using the best of neuroscience, transformational psychology, and a bit of spiritual wisdom to help you change fast, even when it's uncomfortable or scary, or you failed to do so in the past. All this so that you can enjoy more freedom and prosperity in your business and life. I'm happy you're here. Hello there, friends. Today's episode is our 100th. Let's celebrate. If you've been with me since the beginning or you have just jumped in today on the 100th episode, thank you. You know I believe it is important to celebrate just how far we've come, the wins, the things, big and small, that we've created or accomplished because too often we spend our time looking at how much further we have to go or how what we have just accomplished is not enough or adequate. We compare ourselves to others and we miss the golden opportunity to celebrate in life's treasured moments and our personal greatness. Celebrating is actually a step in the creation, building, or manifesting process. And as I celebrate our 100th episode, I encourage you to identify something in your life to celebrate today. Now, before we begin, I want to let you know that if you enjoy and follow this podcast, but do not receive my emails about the podcast in advance, I encourage you to head to readahighland.com and sign up. And I say this because I often share things in my email that I don't share in the podcast, and I don't want you to miss out on anything. That will unleash more of your creativity or your productivity or your ingenuity, okay? Simply go to RitaHighland.com, add your name and email, and the bonus is you're going to get a gift sent directly to your inbox from me. Okay, now back to today's hot topic. This hot topic is focused on a mistake that many top talented and bright individuals make when solving work and life problems that I haven't talked about until today. It begins with which place you begin your approach before solving your problem or fixing your relationship or advancing a result. Do you begin by simply bringing forward your super strategy or solution or do you lock into your approach? I'm bringing this up because our life is filled with problems to which we spend our days seeking solutions, right? You wake up. It's like, which problems am I going to resolve and solve today? Examples are varied. You can turn on the news or look between different countries or maybe in our own families to see the problems that are going on. Maybe your kid's home from college or won't clean his stuff up or someone at the office is not affording your idea the respect you believe it deserves. Maybe you're disagreeing with your spouse on how to raise your kids. All day long, we seek to fix the surface things, the economics, the security, our children, our marriages, those we manage. But here's where the real problem begins. It's what happens before we begin to fix the problem. It's how we approach these problems for which we believe we have the answer. You see, it is not enough anymore as a leader to simply get it done. 
It's not enough to find the super solution and execute the right solution. It matters more how you got there. We're upending and inverting. For too long, too many top talented individuals who have been rewarded for how they execute and the performance and the results that they get have not understood or they've undervalued the importance of how they got there. And that's what we're talking about today because I see it all the time. Is it from the place of a heart that is at peace or a heart that is at war? That is the ultimate question. A heart at war has bad blood or bad sentiment, or there's a low level of trust. We're not creating peace and lifting others up in the process. I'm getting some of this from two of my favorite books, one of which is always and must read for my clients. Both of them are from the Arbinger Society. I'll make a note of these in the show notes. The first of which is Leadership and Self-Deception, and the second is The Anatomy of Peace. Completely enjoyable books for two reasons. One, supersonic practical. Two, they tell a story. So for those of us who don't like to be spoken to and told didactic things, they weave a story that is fabulous from the personal and professional front and make sense of this. I haven't read these in a very long time, so I'm putting a lot of my own ad lib and how I organize this in my mind and thought I would bring it to you. What I'm trying to tell you is that too often we're solving our problems from a place of seeing another person as the problem in need of being corrected or in need of being fixed. And when we approach it like that, we have what they refer to as a heart at war. We feel that we know better, we are better. And we deserve better. And when we begin from this place, we are judgmental, righteous, closed-minded, maybe even shut down. And we see others as the problem or in the way of the solution and that they need to be fixed. They need to be corrected. And what happens when we bring this heart at war with our solution is that the solution can't even work its way. It is at best instantly diminished. And at worst, it just becomes a non-issue. It becomes inconsequential. And this is why people hit their heads and then they continue the circle of blame and justification and disdain. And what we really need to be leading from is a heart at peace. Let me make the distinction between the two. A heart at war, as I just said, is when we think we know better or we are better or we deserve better. We are in judgment. And when we are leading and solving a problem from a heart at peace, in contrast, we see the person as a person with real concerns and needs and ideas just like us. And we're interested in them. We're curious. We're open-minded. We are inclusive in resolving and solving the problems we have all day long. And here's why this is so important. If we are walking around with a heart at war instead of a heart at peace, it doesn't matter how good a solution to the problem you have. It will fail every time. Because peace That's the description I'm going to use to describe what we are doing when we are trying to find a solution to our daily problems. Peace, whether that again is at home or work or if it's between different groups of people, it's capable only when an intelligent strategy is connected to a peaceful inner one. I'll give you an example. My daughter comes home from college. I go to bed leaving the house straightened and the kitchen straightened every evening. I give myself this gift to myself each morning when I wake to a clean home. But as often happens, I come down 
their cups or bowls or whatever else it is that my college daughter has left. And I tell her, but I don't just tell her, I come with a heart at war. I know better, I am better, and I know I deserve better. And that's where I bring what can be an absolutely fabulous and fine strategy to the problem. My ego, which is another name that I have often used for my heart at war, is going to fix the problem. And that problem is my daughter, right? Notice here, I'm already approaching her like she is broken, like she is in need of being fixed. She is a less than me. A common symptom of a heart at war. Now, I probably don't have to tell you how this goes. Perhaps you have experiences like this or have had them in the past. So I go on to correct her. After all, she's just one of those problems I need to fix in the course of my day. And what happens when she has a heart at war approaching her, and I'm judging her, dismissing her, and she sees it coming, I ignite her heart at war, and she will throw that heart at war back at me. And so as I I tell you here, one heart of war solicits another heart at war. If correction, let's just all call it like it is, doesn't work, isn't it amazing that getting louder doesn't work either? I will just attest and own that I've done it. If she didn't hear me the first time, maybe she would hear it when I disdain and and judge and correct her the second time. But after enough times, you know, continuing to do the same thing and hoping for different results is stupid on my part. However, we usually just bring up more war against another person because it's easier and it's less defaming to ourselves, right? So I see this all the time with people at work too, managers who don't trust their people or expect them to not do a good job. So therefore the manager keeps working or points out all the problems with blame and judgment of those around them. And at the same time, those individuals, those managers who are leading will tell me that they want to create a culture of positivity and productivity. And then they go on, I think, to hire consultants who will bring these amazing top tier strategies to fix their problems. But here's the deal. If the people within who are there to execute, if their heart is at war or those who have brought in the strategy's heart is at war, it doesn't matter how five-star your strategy is because those who they are asking to execute, it will already feel the judgment before they begin and war is there. So what I'm saying is that we spend our days looking for the best strategies to problems, but when we are leading from judgment, which is a heart at war, it does not matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how good your strategy is or how efficient you are, or how productive you are, or how top tier or top talent you are, how intellectual you are, or how much top talent you even have on your bench. You can be the most intelligent person in the world, big IQ, lots of degrees. You can pay for the top consultants, as I said, to get you the best strategies in town. You can access the best solutions, the best therapists and consultants for your family that you want to bring. But if it is all beginning with a heart at war that someone else needs to be fixed or corrected, And just think of when I'm saying heart at war, like judgment and blame and disdain. That person is going to feel it and you will go nowhere with your results. Those things, those strategies only matter when they are paired with you bringing inner peace. What I'm saying is that we have to have peace within before we can move to finding peace outside. So before we can fix the myriad of problems that we wake every day to see, Before we can even really be effective or efficient or productive at them, we have to find the peace inside. Otherwise, we make a whole bunch of wake 
You know, it's like a speedboat. We create worse problems for ourselves, but it's always someone else. It's just more fixing and correcting we have to do. So the question, if you're following, ultimately is, well, hey, Rita, how do you create a heart at peace? How do you lead your days and others so that you can fix your problems and find solutions to your problems and the world's problems with amazing strategies that I already have? I'm going to give you some ways here. The first step is to always be aware when you are blaming or justifying or feeling the need to correct or fix another. All of these are a sign that you have a heart at war. And a lot of people don't even go beyond step one. They can't even check that one off. So unless we're obviously aware of a problem, we can't fix a problem. So be aware that the problem is not the surface problem, that there's something underlying the problem that we're not able to influence, compromise, impact, or learn from each other. Now, the second step, after you become aware that you're blaming, justifying, or feeling the need to correct another person, is to see the person as a person, not something that's broken or need of being fixed, okay? This concept, and that's actually not the concept, but the concept more is in the Arbinger Society's book, The Leadership and Self-Deception. And I really encourage everybody to read this book because we do self-deceive ourselves so often. But the one that the concept that they are sharing there and the words in which they use it is whether you're seeing people in the box or out of the box. Do you see them as an object or do you see them as a person? And being able in every interaction and every moment to determine how am I seeing this person? How am I treating this person? And be aware that it's often when we feel justified that another person is a threat to our solution or our time, and then then we judge them as not as good or smart, or we blame, or we see that they should be at a different space, like they should be higher than and operating at a higher level than they are, and they need our correction. That is when we're leading with the heart at war. But how do you do this? Again, when you're frustrated and you're disappointed, even incensed, I've been there that she's left her socks out at home or at the office when he didn't do the things with the client that you think he should have or that they didn't promote you and they should have or that one department's not concerned about your department. Here's what you do. You need to move your vantage point. Here's some ways that you can consider doing that. Consider that the other challenges this person or persons is having. Is it a group of people? What are they missing? Maybe even consider some pain that they may be experiencing in their world. Be curious about their worries. Be curious about their concerns. Most oftentimes, we're all on the same team, although we start to pit ourselves against each other like we're not. Move it to a place where they are the same as me. We are not different. How is this person like me as opposed to how are they different than me? That is an optimal question to begin to make the shift around the stars, around the moon, to get from heart at war to heart at peace. They have the same needs, but different ideas, but how are we all similar? The next way to move from a heart at war, where you're blaming and shaming and justifying your rightness, to a heart at peace is to ask yourself, when have you done what you're judging the other person for? This is like the fastest go-to that I always go to. And this way, I'm able to humble my heart at war. I'm able to humble my ego. I'm able to have compassion. I get them. That is how we are similar. We are not as different as my ego would like us to think. I've done this too. And when you do that, when you ask yourself, where am I doing the same thing that they're afraid of? Or where have I done the same after I've answered? What are their worries, concerns, or fears? As What are their needs? 
I'm going to find that I softened in that space because I'm similar and I don't see them any longer as an object, but as a person. Another way to move from heart at war to heart at peace is to put on your heart at peace cap, your hat. Think of some alternative solutions when you are in a peaceful place. When you feel safe and happy and positive, there is always a solution and a strategy. So just say, okay, I'm going to put that other hat on. I'm going to put their hat on, perhaps, where they're coming from. The successful resolution of any problem begins and ends with you leading from a peaceful heart. So it's just a matter of you using some of these strategies to move you there before you're able to effectively implement whatever brainiac, fabulous, intellectual solution you have. You hear me? Okay, so so maybe some of your questions include, how am I contributing to this person's problem or the problem as I see it? This is another way that we quiet that heart at war. What have I not been seeing accurately? What have I been missing? What am I not seeing accurately? If I had to argue that I'm not seeing it accurately, what is it? And what can I do to help? What can I do simply to help? In this way, you expand your vantage point. You know, it's like the moon is turned. You're looking from the other side. You're not fixated on being right, which is a heart at war. You're asking questions that a heart at peace would ask. Act on it. That's the next step. Once you're aware of the problem, once your second step is to shift yourself from a heart at war to a heart at peace, then the third is really important to act on it. This is how we can fix those problems that we woke up with this morning. This is the only way we can fix the world's problems and get back to peace even when others are at war and have hearts at war or when all hell is breaking loose. Sometimes a heart at peace may be all we can do in that moment is to be still to radiate, I see you, I hear you, I appreciate you, I can see where I could have contributed to this, I can see that I have not been seeing this completely accurately or fully. The other day I saw something on the news I actually admired, I know that's crazy, it was Justice Sotomayor talking about her colleague, Justice Thomas, and she said, I have probably disagreed with him more than any other justice. But she said the two maintain a friendship in part because he's a man who cares deeply about the court and an institution, about the people who work there. And she went on to say that she has a very different vision about how to go about helping people. But because she is able to really, though not used in her own words, have a heart at peace, because she's able to see that he has good intentions, that he's a man who cares deeply about the work that he's doing. She says that that's why I can be friends with him and still continue our daily battle over our differences of opinions in cases, she said. And she went on to say that you really can't begin to understand an adversary unless you step away from looking at their views as motivated in bad faith, or in other words, from a heart at war with blame, shame, disdain. If Sotomayor had a heart at war, the Supreme Court justices could never even begin to resolve the thousands of problems and cases that they are asked to resolve in their lifetimes. So instead of approaching Justice Thomas with a heart at war, like, I'm better than him, I deserve more, I'm smarter than him, I'm more than him, and that he's something that needs to be fixed or corrected, she sees him as a person. And that's the way that they begin to approach and resolve any type of problem. Another real example of leading with a heart at peace came this this week when I was thinking about this topic. I was reading a story in one of Tony Robbins' publishings, and it was the story of a man named Daryl who was a black blues piano player. 
And he was at a lounge playing piano and was jaw dropping at how fabulous he was doing. Everybody was having a glorious evening. And after he had finished, a white gentleman made his way over to where Daryl was sitting at the bar. And that man said something like, I've never heard a black man play like that. And Daryl said, well, where do you think blues came from? The man stared at him for a bit. Then he said, I've never had a drink with a black man either. Daryl continued to find his comments a bit odd, but he came back again and again and really approached this with a heart at peace, a curiosity and openness. What comes next is absolutely stunning is the man says, you know, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And Daryl was, of course, in shock. And the man then pulled out his Ku Klux Klan card. Daryl decided in that moment to get to know the person, in the words of Tony Robbins. What happened then is that because he says he got to know him, and I would use different words and say because he had a heart at peace, because he had inner peace, that is Daryl, they went on to exchange contact information. Eventually, this man pulled out of the Ku Klux Klan, and now today they go out and have conversations and do discussions about the anatomy of peace and being able to move even when you have incredibly different strategies. But it first had to come with one person bringing heart at peace to another person that might have a heart at war. Now, these are real examples that show us, and extreme ones, I would say, that it's not easy to really be conscious and to be able to be self-aware and call ourselves and be able to see our own stuff. It takes a person with their own inner peace, their willingness to be self-aware, their interest in lifting other people up to really solve problems, whether that be in their house, their community, or their or the organization or business, your call to action is to notice a place where maybe you are judging someone or a group of people. Maybe your heart is at war. And I'm going to ask you over this next week to practice approaching that problem with a heart at peace, interested, genuinely caring for the other person, assuming positive intent, seeing what is like you more than what is different. Honestly, assess where you see that person or that group of people as having a problem or broken in need of being fixed. And then turn it and say, if I was coming from a heart at peace, if I asked a better question of how am I contributing to this? What am I not seeing adequately enough? What if I was interested and saw that we were the same rather than different in terms of we have similar needs and ideas? How could I shift this such that when I bring my five-star idea, my five-star strategy, my outrageously supersonic solution that it will actually be executed. Because again, I say it does not matter just that you get it done. If you're a leader, it matters how you got there. As for me and my daughter, who leaves her stuff out, I decided to practice this. I was conscious of it. I know that I am powerful enough to shift other individuals when I show up at my best. I decided to put down my need to be right, my blaming, my indignation, my need for vindication, my sharp tongue. I put down my sword and I moved from a heart at war to a heart at peace. As I said, correcting louder than I had corrected before was not working. Instead, what I did was I started to see her as a person. I was curious about what she was feeling. What was she worried about at the moment? Where was she in her head? How was I perhaps even contributing or amplifying some of what I was trying to resolve? And it really didn't require a lot of extra talk 
There was not a lot of extra strategizing. I simply made the decision to shift from a heart at war to a heart at peace, to not need anything from her and simply bring my own peaceful inner self. And I can see that she is trying more than I give her credit for. I share what I see going well with her, what I love about her. And the solution happens in my favor without me even having to work on it. And when it doesn't, as it's not always perfect, I resist that temptation to start the heart at war again. I resist the temptation also to take it personally, such that that ignites my heart at war. Unbelievably, I made this decision and my husband later that very night said, wow, what was going on? You were really doing well. You both were laughing in that tough conversation. You're both really hearing each other. It was noticeable. I didn't even mention but I, to him what I was doing, but I was conscious of it. And that's what it takes. That's the power of bringing your heart at peace to this world that has so much war. And that doesn't matter, again, if it's at the kitchen table or the boardroom table. Truth is consistent. This is applicable. And this is really part of the anatomy of peace. It take a deliberate awareness and energy, absolutely. But think of the alternative. Your strategy, your ingenuity, all the things you've worked for, all your impact that's possible is absolutely useless and futile. If you do not bring a fabulous inner game, a peaceful inner game with your strategy, what is before a well-done strategy is a peaceful heart. And it's not just your heart at war, by the way. It's your family's heart at war. It's a company's heart at war. It's a community at war. It's our political system at war. They can't hear each other because they're both, everybody has hearts at war. It's a world at war then. And that is how we contribute in the butterfly effect of when we have a heart at war that we are actually contributing to events overseas where things are even less peaceful or even downtowns in the middle of our urban societies or wherever we're seeing the wars. Here's the bottom line. The real problem we so often have is insisting that others need to change while being unwilling to see how we might need to change. Do we get that? So important. It's so much easier to attack others. The real problem, though, is insisting that others need to change while we are unwilling to do it ourselves. And when we will not look at how we need to change, we are inviting there to be wars. It's not a little in between. It is either yes or no. It's either contaminate or contribute. The only way to ultimately fix the problems we see is to get ourselves to a place where we are not at war. Instead, we are at peace. And what I've learned is that the majority of human beings have wonderful hearts and they will show them to you if you make them feel safe, if you bring to them your own heart at peace. I think the two stories I shared with Justice Sotomayor and Daryl and the Ku Klux Klan member are valid examples to show you how extreme and how things can be turned around. I hope this is helpful and will help you be more influential and impactful at executing your super strategies and solutions and enjoying more harmony in your home and at work. You have more power than you think you do. Be 100% responsible for 50% of the relationship. One of my teachers long ago said, when you're in other people's business, you're not in your business, right? You're, you're so concerned with correcting and fixing and moving them Get back into your own business. Fix the 100% that is 50% of the relationship. And what you'll see is when you fix that, you work on you, you do you, you evolve you, you inner peace yourself, that the other person, the other group of people, they'll meet you there. Just like Daryl and the Ku Klux Klan man. Keep your head about you instead of trying to fix or correct others. And when you do you, you'll find yourself happier and doing the best work of your career. We will be back. I will be back in two weeks with another episode of Playful Out. 
Be sure to share this with your family and colleagues if you think it would be helpful and sign up to get more information and inspiration like this on my website and those emails that have all the juicy stuff that I don't share on the podcast. You can do that at ritahyland.com. This is Rita Hyland. Peace to you. Thank you for being with me today. By you listening to this, it tells me you're interested in growing yourself and likely not just for yourself, but to positively influence others as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share this with your friends and colleagues. When leaders like you grow yourself and then grow others, we all are positively impacted. If you have questions, I'm here to answer them and may even use them in our upcoming podcasts. Go ahead. You can send those questions to breakthroughatritahyland.com. Remember, a half version of you is not enough. The world needs the full version of you at play. I look forward to seeing you on our next podcast.